Welcome to Grazy Her's Life on the Land podcast summer series, where members of the Grazy Her team pick their favourite podcast episode from the last 12 months. Hope you enjoy another look at these amazing stories. Hi, I'm Amy and I'm the digital producer here at Grazier. My favourite Life on the Land episode last year was with Sophie Elliott. Listening to Sophie's story, I was so inspired by her amazing strength and how she got through the tough times with her two small children after tragically losing her husband at a young age. I also loved hearing about her life now, running the remote Hellsgate Roadhouse in the Gulf of Carpentaria while teaching her kids through distance education. I really hope you enjoy listening to this episode as much as I did. Welcome to Life on the Land, a Grazy Her podcast telling the stories of women living across regional, rural and remote Australia. I'm Sammy O'Brien, your host for today's episode. Our guest this week is Sophie Elliott. A born and bred Winton girl, Sophie found herself in her early 20s working at the Blue Healer pub in Kainuna. It was here that her life would change forever. Unbeknownst to her, her future husband, who was the station manager at nearby Kainuna Station, walked into the bar one afternoon and the rest was, as they say, history. Their love story bloomed amidst the vibrant tapestry of their surroundings. But in an unfair and cruel twist of fate, their love story was to be cut short. So if you live in a pretty unique part of the country, can you describe to me exactly where you guys are and what you do there? So we are at Hellsgate Road House, which is on the Savannah Way, uh, up in the Gulf of Carpentaria, uh, 50 k's on the Queensland side of the Northern Territory border. Uh, so it's quite remote. Uh, our closest town is uh, Doomadgee. It's an um, Aboriginal community. It's an hour away. Uh, Burke Town we, is uh, 180 k's away. That's our closest um, township uh, as such. Uh, and so I live here with uh, my partner, Scott, and his mum and dad own the Hellsgate Roadhouse. And so, um, yeah, we're here being a part of their journey and adventure of taking over um, the roadhouse and the 400,000 acre cattle station that goes with it. So, yes, it's very unique and uh, every day is different. <laughs> My gosh. So you're there with your partner, Scott, and your three kids, Peggy, Kip and Clary. But I wanted to rewind to your earlier days, your Winton born and bred. Uh, What was it like growing up there? Oh, well, I love Winton. Uh, Anyone that knows me and is listening to this will have a little giggle because I'll be like, oh, gosh, don't get her started on Winton. (laughs) But there's something about Winton that gets um, under your nails and into your bones, I think, and it never leaves you. But it's um, it's a great place to grow up. Really um, enjoyed my childhood there. So, um, yeah, born at the Winton Hospital to uh, Donald and Lisa Elliott, or Duck as Dad's better known, and his family's um, been from there forever. So Elliott's and Winton just go sort of hand in hand. Hand. I say if you're not an Elliot um, from Winton, you're related to one. Um, and we grew up on a cattle and sheep property. Originally it was. We're not in sheep anymore, uh, about an hour out of Winton. Uh, and um, mum taught all four of us kids. I've got two younger sisters and a younger brother, and we all did uh, long-range school of the air um, out there. And 
um, yeah, had a great childhood growing up. And um, then, yeah, we all went to boarding school. Um, the three girls, we all went to um, Toowoomba to boarding school. And then my brother went on to go to um, Charters Towers. So um, that was our first sort of experience away from home and, and away from Winton. <laughs> so it was quite a shock to the system, 17 hours on the uh, um, old Greyhound bus from Winton to Toowoomba into a whole new world. But, um, but yeah, I think uh, heart is always at home in Winton for sure. Now, when you were in your early 20s, you were working at the Blue Hill Hotel in Kainuna, which wasn't too far from where you grew up, obviously. Um, and that was quite a pivotal point in your life. Tell me a little bit about that time. Yeah, that was, um, it was a great time. Uh, I think I just turned 21 and um, I'd had my 21st at the Blue Healer actually in Kainuna. And um, I think the Elliots have a fair, um, fair good history at the, at the Blue Healer in Kainuna over the years. And um, it's about an hour from from home, from mum and dad's. And I decided to move back home and and become more a part of um, the business um, with mum and dad, and um, got a little job on the side at the pub as a as a barmaid because um, I thought that would be a good bit of money to um, go towards doing up my little cottage back out on on the property. Um, and I really didn't think that it would be one of those um, major, major moments of life, but it really was a stepping stone into um, meeting um, my partner, Dave, who um, is the father of Peggy and Kip, my eldest two. And um, he was the station manager at um, Kainuna Station, which was just um, across the road from the pub. And so he would um, come into the pub and um, bring in his workers and um, would get chatting. And um, it was a bit strange for uh, me, a local Australian girl, to be working at the pub. At that time, normally everyone would expect to go in there and see a backpacker as a barmaid. So uh, that was quite a a novelty, really. So, yeah, it was great, um, great chatting. And, um, yeah, that's that's how things sort of sort of started there and um yeah didn't really know I'd I'd find um love on on right on the back doorstep literally (laughs) was it love at first sight for you oh I think um we definitely hit it off probably more as as mates I think just really got chatting into um all things um music and and politics and and world life events and things like that um as you do over the bar Uh, (laughs) but I think we um I think being there right there you know sort of in my in my home ground and and um yeah being very comfortable and familiar in my um settings helped a lot and um David um had quite a big attachment to that area as well so um we were very comfortable um where we were and and amongst all the people out there so um yeah things things sort of moving forward with him were were a no-brainer no one was really surprised and everyone was was pretty stoked I wasn't going too far away from home (laughs) Where was Dave from? Was he sort of a local as well? Well, he definitely considered himself a local. Um, he'd actually been from Brisbane. He was a Brisbane boy and had no um, like station experience and, and bush experience like as a kid. And then he went out um, jackarooing and he then went into working um, for yeah stations and then um, worked in the DPI for years. And, and that job took him to Julia Creek at one point and he made a really good friend base and and home sort of set around the Julia Creek area and that's sort of where he always considered home and that was where his like sort of best best mates were so it was nice then that then he'd left DPI and then was back working on in companies and then became a station manager and that took him back to Kainuna station which was in the um locality of of Julia Creek so um essentially he he was he was home 
that's that's where he would have yeah called home I love that when someone from just completely a city background ends up managing a station you know in Kainuna that's crazy that's you, you don't hear that very often yeah absolutely um and I think that's yeah that made him really special that 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 had become his passion and um, something that he had found that he was really good at and he was really interested in and, and he ran with that. And so I always um, try and instill that into the kids and any other sort of young people I talk to now, I'm like, don't worry about, you know, where you are, you know, at, uh, at now. Um, just think about, you know, what, what do you like? What are you interested in? What are you good at? And that can take you places, you know, at the end of the day, like happiness is one of the biggest successes. Now, you obviously ended up with Dave and having two beautiful kids with him. You had your first when you were 23 and then your second was it at 25? Yeah. (laughs) You know better than me. Um, (laughs) When Peggy was just 15 months old, Dave passed away. Can you talk to me about that time in your life? So um, Peggy was three and Kip was 15 months old um, when Dave passed away suddenly. Um, So, yeah, and I was 27 um, and he had um, left us to go um, off and compete at a um, camp draft challenge, um, but he'd never actually got to um, end up competing because he suffered a a sudden cardiac arrest and and died um, very suddenly from a heart attack. So, it was a, a very strange um, time uh, in the fact that um, the moment that sort of happened, this bizarre, it was in July, um, but this bizarre weather system came in and it just started raining, um, which is quite unusual for that time of year. And it's just freezing cold winter rain just just came in so uh, there was no way I was ever going to be able to be there where he was and and when all of that happened I was um, stuck back at home with the kids and just sort of had to operate then in a bit of um, bit of survival mode to kind of get things done and, and work out the logistics of what was happening around us that, um, yeah, he had died. We still had staff on the station. Some staff were with him. I actually happened to be at mum and dad's property the night that it happened and then had to get to Kainuna Station and, and then deal with everything that was sort of happening around us and then, yeah, have these two little kids and, and Kip, he um he definitely doesn't have any recollection of that time happening um being that little but Peg at three years old she was you know asking like in you know where's daddy is that daddy like when I'd be on the phone and um you know dealing with things and um is daddy home yet like things like that and so um it was all very surreal um I guess and you just were operating in a mode that um yeah I think the the human body is pretty powerful like that it just kicks in and and just does things without you really really knowing what's happening just sort of took over but I think that's probably a lot to do with our our upbringing and and our background um as you know being a rural kid and um like rural women you know we tend to just be a bit of a a bit of a rock for everyone around us and I think I probably found that I was that person that I thought well I don't have time to um, break down right now because I've got uh, kids and staff and family and friends that are not coping with this situation that's happening so um, I need to be the person that 
that steers this ship through this storm. Um, so that is how I feel, probably how it went looking back on it now. That must have been the most extraordinarily difficult time for you. And something that you said to me that really stuck with me was that when he said goodbye to you when he was going to that camp draft, uh, that was the last time you ever saw him. Yeah, that's right. And I can I can vividly see his face, um, you know, looking at me and he'd, he'd grab the kids and he'd squeeze them in close to the sides of his face. And um, he was like, oh, because I, I was being a bit bit angry, of course. I was like, oh, you know, do you have to go tonight? Like, could you just go tomorrow? You know, a classic and that sort of mode of life. And he was like, oh, no, it'll be right. Like, I've got to go and get a camp and you know set up and you know get first in best dress try to run and I knew that that's what he loved doing and and that was another one of his great passions his horses and doing that um sport so you know I fully supported that but yeah like it does it breaks breaks my heart that that you know him driving out was you know to know that he wasn't driving back home again and and it's hard though because we weren't I guess you know it's a blessing in disguise that we never you know were there when it happened or, or anything like that but you always still think that he's um you know he's going to just drive back in over the grid and it's you know it's it's all a bad dream um but yeah that's that's the reality of um country life you know as harsh as, as it is and sometimes I think you know where do you sort of you know draw on your strengths to get through these things but I sort of go back to that I think you know we we grow up in in harsh times you know we have droughts and floods and we see animals die and you know we we deal with all this stuff and you know nothing can ever prepare you for losing you know the love of your life but um I think that they are the things that you know help us um build that resilience and get us through what steps did you take after Dave passed away did you guys stay on the property what where did you go from there Well, I was very determined to uh, finish that year. We were halfway through the year and um, I, we, you know, we'd started off so well. We were so really happy with where everything was going. We had a really great staff base and and all the works on the station were going really well. And so um, I'd, yeah, made it clear that that I um, wanted to stay there with the kids and finish um, the year while I found a replacement manager. Um, I was really lucky that Dave had a wonderful boss that um, supported us and backed us 100% in that. So um, we proceeded with that and um, I had wonderful staff that um, backed and supported me that definitely wouldn't have been able to get through without them. With everything that was going on, we were still receiving cattle from some of the other stations and sending cattle away and processing <laughs> paperwork and, yeah, all the administrational things and, and stuff like that so there was um, a fair bit going on and then, yeah still having um, like a three-year-old and then yeah a little kippy not even you know 18 months so that was that was hectic I was really lucky Dave's dad and his stepmom came out from Melbourne um, and they were fantastic and they stayed and, and helped um, us out and obviously having my family an hour down the road you know I always felt like I was home I never felt like I had to um, to leave like to escape or, or run away or anything like all my people were around me. Yeah, I had, you know, great support in that and um, and some great friends that came out. And, you know, it's the little things. You remember people making you meals and dropping in and calling in and checking if they can do anything and seeing if they're okay and, and things like that. But, um, yeah, we knew we had to leave. So um, it was – I didn't really think twice. I knew that, you know, life was going to have to go on for us, that the kids were going to have to go to school and I was going to have to get a job and things like that. So um, Winton was a no-brainer. We bought a house um, there. And so um, at the end of the year, that's where um, Peggy and Kip and I moved. And, 
yeah, it was it was bittersweet. It was it was hard to leave and say goodbye to our old life, but you know, I, we weren't sad about you know having to to go to Winton and and yeah, be a part of um, all our surrounding network there. We were very lucky, very lucky. Through that time, did you ever feel isolated in terms of being able to chat to other people who had been through a similar situation? Because, I mean, I guess for you, you were just so, so young to have lost your husband. There wouldn't have been many people in your friendship group that would have experienced anything like that. Yeah, 100%. And I... I always go back to remembering lying in bed one night, you know, not being able to sleep for goodness knows how long and Googling like what to do when your partner dies and you have two little children. Cause I just thought, where do I start? Like, what, what do I do? And nobody knows how to do this. And I felt so bad because, you know, my friends are celebrating like wonderful life moments. You know, I've got friends getting engaged and having babies and, and um, grief can be so cruel like that. I look back now and think, gosh, like I missed all that. You know, I, I'd lost this memory of all those things that have happened. And I try and backtrack all those stories with my friends now. I'm like, I'm so sorry. Like I just wasn't there in my head at the time. Like tell me again your wonderful birth story and <laughs> how your husband proposed to you because <laughs> I was in another world. But, you know, that's that's just, you know, how it was. And and I definitely look back on that now and I think, you know, I, I always get very apprehensive even just about, you know, talking talking about this, like even with you. But I think, gosh, you know, if there was someone like me that had been out there and I could have, you know, heard someone else's story and just try, tried to relate even just like for a second, gosh, that would have just made me feel so much better. And, you know, I hate, I hope that, you know, no one has to go through that, go through what, you know, we did, but I know it'll happen. So if someone, if someone out there feels alone, I just, you know, hope one day they might flick through and, and, and hear this and be like, well, gosh, no, like I'm, it's not just me, you know, that it's, it's, there's, there's others, <laughs> there's others of us out here in this terrible um, club, but yeah, it is very isolating as if living in the bush isn't isolating enough. But when you sort of go through something like that, um, you do feel very on your own. It's not the same as um, in some of the cities. Um, I know that, you know, some of the um, girls will start these lovely support groups with each other and they'll go out to coffee or catch up with other um, women in their same situation. And, um, it's not the same for us out here. I mean, yes, there are um, a few of us that have experienced the same thing, but we're probably all pretty, um, you know, spaced far apart and and there's lots of other things going on in between. So it's it's not the same, um, just being able to catch up and, and share that kind of pain and, um, you know, that very unique life that, that we have now. Um, yeah, you um, you have this situation happen to you where your family situation is is very different because of what's what's happened it's not the norm but um yeah here we are you embrace it your wonderful partner Scott who would have been integral in your healing process he was always a friend of yours and he knew Dave well how did that relationship evolve um yeah it's it's a pretty it's a lovely story. I love how Scott kind of fits into our whole story and uh, everything is meant to be um, in that sense. But yeah, Scott was a friend of ours and a friend of um, Dave's in the same um, circle of, of socializing and work. And um, yeah, we stayed in touch um, after um, Dave died and um, yeah, really valued um, him as becoming a part of our family. Um, he's, been wonderful with um Peg and and Kip and um they adore him and have really had 
some very fun times. Um, and I'm, yeah, so grateful that they've got to share um, lots of fun times with him in that period of their life that they get to remember so much. And I guess, yeah, m- making making new memories, um, yeah, that they get to to carry with them. But yeah, it's um, it is a pretty cool story. I I remember um, having the kids in at the Blue Healer, and Dave and I had gone in to have a um, beer one afternoon, and he'd turned to me and said, "Oh, Hazy's bought the Hell's Gate Roadhouse, like up in the Gulf, like on the border." And I was like, "Oh, of course he has." Like you know, it was no shocks. You know, Scott was such a um, conqueror of the world he was going to do everything and have all these wonderful things and and um I was no surprise that he you know bought this remote roadhouse in the middle of nowhere and I'd said to Dave well you'll have to take us all there one day um he's like oh yeah we're definitely going up there it's gonna be great take the kids right here and obviously Dave never got to go there and um I honestly just thought about when we moved up here for the first time I was like gosh wow like I bet (laughs) I wish I could see the look on his face now thinking like my gosh now they're now they're living there. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? I got goosebumps when you told me that story. It's just, it's a crazy story. And I'm sure he would be so proud of you guys and where you're living now and how amazing, that, you know, he knows that you're in such good hands as well. Yeah, it's really nice. It's definitely um, a unique chapter and it's hard looking back on things, you know, because uh, I guess you do anything to have him back. But yeah, I wouldn't change anything now knowing that, you know, that's led us into our our next chapter and yeah I um, appreciate that you know Dave's a part of our story and and that part came to an end and then led us into our our next part um, with Scott and then obviously welcoming Clary into the world has been um, a momentous occasion for everybody and um, yeah we we love where life has taken us Uh, we're, we're very blessed. The golf is such a huge move for you well, was such a huge move for you and the kids. Was that somewhat cleansing for you to just have such a big change? It was just one of those moments where given what had happened um, to us, I just thought, you know, I've got nothing to lose. I just thought, you know, why not? Like the kids are little, you know, all this stuff has, has gone on. Let's just have a crack at it um and before I had come up here for the first time I would always say to people oh gosh I'll never live up there like I'll never be able to live up there like Scott will definitely have to move um and then I came up here for the first time and I think the thing that got me the most is probably like the landscape um and I've since done a little bit of reading about like the um the healing power of nature um in in grief and and trauma and things like that and now I look back and think maybe that has something to do with it um being surrounded by this completely different um landscape and um all this you know scrub country and rocks and you know these amazing water holes and 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 everything about it was just a whole new world um that you know really captivated me so yeah perhaps um I found a little bit of yeah healing power in that which is really really nice and and being able to give the kids that opportunity of a different aspect and a different part of the world has been yeah wonderful they're going to have you know so many great memories um of you know growing up um around here what is it like running such an iconic roadhouse because most people you talk to would have heard of Hellsgate Roadhouse 
Oh, it is fairly chaotic <laughs> and I feel like when we're um, here, we just, you know, slot in wherever we can, um, really. I mean, Scott's mum and dad are extraordinary. They are, um, the, they, they pull the strings on everything. Nothing would happen without them. They're the backbone of it all. But um, every day is different. That's basically how I sum it up to people when you're juggling um, a remote roadhouse and a cattle station. No two days will ever be the same. Uh, I think meeting lots of different people is definitely a standout there is just so many different characters um, coming through I mean just last night we had a couple that stayed with their rooster in the cabins I <laughs> um, really know what you're going to get we, we really need to keep a little notebook of all of these things <laughs> and lots of different staff too that's been really um really special having lots of different people working for us over the years making some wonderful connections with um, backpackers from around the world and and retirees that come out of retirement um, because they're just you know that it's just too, too good of an opportunity not to have a crack in the Hell's Gate Roadhouse so yeah they've they've been really special special things. The kids must absolutely love it there as well just having so many people come through and they just sort of can run amok. Yeah they were so quiet when we first moved here like Peg and Kit were just like the shyest most little quiet kids and um, then it didn't take them long they would just like roll out into the caravan park as soon as like a um, family would like you know park up for the night and then go out there and like introduce themselves to kids and you know be riding kids other kids bikes and playing with their stuff and be like oh hey mom like this kid's mom said we could like have dinner at their caravan like would that be okay like thinking it's the best life ever. (laughs) How cool because usually if you were living that remotely the kids wouldn't probably see that many other kids but they have families coming through all the time how fun absolutely I know that has definitely been um something very special about it and yeah it is hard because you know obviously they move on the next day but yeah that's all just part and parcel of the of the lifestyle of it so yeah they've been um they're probably the best little icebreakers too you know um they'll go and you know start talking to people and then you start start up a conversation with someone so it's just a crazy crazy little um hub of activity I don't think you can really believe it until you come here and see it yourself like how it all comes together but it is really cool something special it's amazing there is so much going on there we came through a couple of years ago and absolutely loved it but you are also all your time is taken up mostly with the kids now with school of the air and you're kind of you've had to sort of take a back step somewhat with the roadhouse and focus entirely on education, haven't you? Yeah, so this is um, the kids and I, this is our fifth year here. Um, so, yeah, when I first started, um, Peg was on year one and uh, Kip was kindy. And so now I've got year five and year three and then obviously added Clary into that mix and, and he's just turned two. Teaching them via School of the Air is a full-time job in itself, without a doubt. Um, I was really lucky. Obviously, mum um, taught all of us kids, and so I had that background um, that it wasn't foreign to me. But, um, goodness, it's changed a lot. Um, I was a um, HF radio, um, you know, school by the papers, send it in the mail, have to wait for your feedback to come back in the mail kind of kid. And now um, with the, you know, beauty of technology, the kids are, you know, they're logged in, they're online, they've got their headsets, they're all uploading things here, there and everywhere. So, um, yeah, it's it's a whole different ball game. But, yeah, that, it, it's a huge challenge, you know, 
I've found juggling both being their educator and their mother is um, is hugely demanding and draining um, mentally and physically and, and even on them as well. Um, it's very hard to sort of differentiate the two. I find that um, since teaching them, I think um, motherhood is, is easy. Like it's so easy just being their mum when you have to be their teacher as well. Golly gosh, that's so hard and you know everyone gets sick of each other at some point and then they will you know leave at the end of the day and you're like thank god that's over but like two <laughs> seconds later they're back because they're like oh actually mom like I need you can you <laughs> get me something to eat and can we go and do this and you know come and sort this out and you're like oh that's right like no we rest still- <laughs> <laughs> we- I still have to do everything else with you too so yeah, that that has been um that has been huge and it definitely yeah takes up all the time and, and adding Clary in has been a wonderful um but uh, I call us the circus um because that's basically what it is and um you know you think about a normal person uh, teaching children in a in a mainstream situation they um you know would go and have a baby on maternity leave and then they would have time away from their students but in my case I just um, still taught my kids that day went to the hospital that afternoon had a baby I gave everyone I think the next day off because then it went into a weekend and then we were back on school on Monday with the new baby much to all of the classes delight because they were all waiting so excitedly on the videos going where's your new baby brother (laughs) here he is we're back at school you're rocking in the corner (laughs) Oh, trying to discreetly make sure that nothing pops out of the shirt as the <laughs> baby's just feeding away there. <laughs> oh, but, you know, that's how I was brought up. That's how my mum, you know, handled it. And, you know, my um, aunties I've seen, you know, put through all their kids and, and that's just life. It's just another aspect of um, of life on the land. And, and I really have a newfound respect and, um, yeah, I admire those women a lot. They are my um, absolute idols because um, doing everything else you have to do for, you know, your partners on stations as well as you know mothering and and then teaching um it's yeah it's superwoman stuff so yeah definitely um don't take those powers for for granted so what's next for you what do you guys have planned for the future what's the next couple of years hold oh golly gosh well I I try not to look too far ahead these days sometimes it feels like a mammoth effort just getting through each day um, week, month, um, as busy as they are and as hectic as it is. And, and I try not to look too far like ahead than a year most of the time, really, because I guess life is just ever so changing. And uh, after, you know, being through what we've been through, I try not to, you know, set set things too far ahead and just focus on the here and now and what we've got and, and, and be grateful for that. For me, I mean, life revolves around the kids, honestly, and it, and it's hard to look past that. And I know um, in the next couple of years, I'm looking down the barrel of um, starting boarding school uh, with Peggy. So I guess that's looming for me. And then it won't be far behind that, but then Clary will have to start school as well. So it all just is really rapid fire from here on in. So I want to be there for everyone. <laughs> <laughs> that is my strength and my weakness uh, to try and be there for Scott and for my family back home in Winton and, and part of there and um, then for each of the kids in their own right so you know try and be a good boarding school parent and make it to the sport on the weekends and you know keep educating other kids and, and things like that so um, I guess it never slows down 
And, um, you know, everyone thinks, oh, it'll be right once I just get through this phase, you know, and they're having the babies and then they've got the toddlers and they, I'll be right once they start school. Oh, no, there's all that sort of stuff to go on with. And oh, it'll be easy, you know, when someone gets away to boarding school. Oh, no, and then you've just got to factor in other stuff. So it it just will, it'll be something new all the time. And, and I, yeah, I fully accept that. We haven't fully got a grasp on, on everything around us that's happening. I know that we're going to have new exciting adventures and new challenges coming our way so I'm just very open I think um to whatever happens next and and hope that um I hope that everyone is is happy as I said I think that's the the greatest success at the end of the day where is your closest boarding school well, I guess um, in this northern part of um, Queensland, Townsville's now a huge um, boarding school centre. Um, for me, that's still a little bit too much um, big city uh, for, <laughs> for my kids. So I'll probably focus on coming inland slightly and, and Charters Towers will probably be where, um, yeah, we're headed. That's got, it's got nice um, sort of country town vibes, but still being, you know, close to, to the east coast and a major centre. So, um, yeah, my dad went there and my brother just finished there. So, um, yeah, that, that seems a lot more um, achievable these days than the 17-hour bus trip um, from Winton to Toowoomba. <laughs> <laughs> my kids will be grateful that I don't make them do that. <laughs> You're going to have to get your pilot's licence so you can go and watch school sport <laughs> on a Saturday. <laughs> Oh, yes. <laughs> Fuel up the jet and I'm off. <laughs> Sophie's story is a testament to the tenacity of the human spirit and stands as a poignant reminder that even in the face of formidable challenges, happiness can be found again. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Life on the Land as much as I loved having a chat with Sophie. Don't forget to subscribe, rate and review. It means the world to us and keeps us doing what we love. Our latest issue of Grazy Her is on shelves now in all quality newsagents. If you're a long way out of town, consider subscribing. We often have amazing subscription deals and it means you receive your copy of the mag in your mailbox, fuss-free, six times a year. Until next time, keep well. I'm Sammy O'Brien and this is a Grazy Her podcast.